Welcome to the Calvary Lake Ozark Message Podcast. Wherever you are tuning in from today, we hope that you're challenged and encouraged by today's message. If you'd like more information about Calvary Lake Ozark, visit calvarylakeozark.com. We're going to jump out of our study in Matthew for a week. We're just going to take a week uh, and jump into a passage that, honestly, early on in my walk, we're going to be in John chapter 6, early on in my walk was was a passage that I just kind of read through, you know, as I, as I got to it, I just read through it, and I was like, all right, that's a good story, let's keep going. The longer that I've just been able to walk with Jesus, and he's been correcting me <laughs> every step that I take, the more this passage really has, like, come to light, and I think you guys all experience that, right? Like, you, you've read passages in the Bible before, whenever you're younger or a couple years ago, that it hits a little bit different now that you read it here, today, whatever. Um, So we're going to be in John chapter 6. Another funny story. I got two stories as you guys are turning there. One, every time that I felt inadequate to come and teach before people or preach God's word, uh, I haven't told a lot of people this. Very few number of people know this. But every time that I felt, man, I just don't know, God, I don't know if I can do this. Every single time, some rendition of Amazing Grace has been played for the worship set. So it happened again today, so we're ready. We're jumping right into this thing. Second thing is uh, somebody heard that I, I found out I'm preaching very short notice, and they're like, sweet, short service. And I said, hey, that sounds awesome. And I've heard the, the old saying, if you're not good, be short, people will like it. I get that. But the problem is a lot of my planning that God has... Um, really worked, like, as I plan sermons and stuff, God really works on me to make things shorter. <laughs> so I don't know how long we're going to be here. We only got one service. You guys eat? You good? We ready? No, I'm kidding. <laughs> but uh, hopefully you guys got to John chapter 6 with all of those stories. Um, and knowing that it, it takes me a long time to process some stuff, John chapter 6 is really great because It takes these people here a lot of time to process, and I think that's why it speaks to me. So let's read. We're going to start in verse uh, 22. In verse 22, it says, On the next day, the crowd that remained on the other side of the sea saw that there had been only one boat there and that Jesus had not entered the boat with his disciples, but that his disciples had gone away alone. Other boats from Tiberias came near the place where they had eaten bread after the Lord had given thanks So when the crowd saw that Jesus was not there, nor his disciples, they themselves got into the boats and went to Capernaum, seeking Jesus. And when they found him on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you come here? Jesus answered them, truly, truly, I say to you, you are seeking me not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. Do not labor for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life which the Son of Man will give to you. For on him, God the Father has set his seal. Verse 28, then they said to him, what must we do to be doing the works of God? Jesus answered them, this is the work of God, that you believe in him whom he has sent. So they said to him, then what sign do you do that we may see and believe you? What work do you perform? Our fathers ate the manna in the wilderness, as is written. He gave them bread from heaven to eat. Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, it was not Moses who gave the bread 
from heaven, but my Father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. They said to him, Sir, give us this bread always. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. But I said to you that you have seen me and yet do not believe. All that the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never cast out. For I have come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, but raise it up on the last day. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. This is one of those passages in scripture, like I told you, that just speaks to me. I think every time I read it, there's something else. There's another little nuance here and there, and I just always grow from it. But what I really love, like I told you about this, is that these people took a really long time to figure some things out. And that's me, honestly, in a nutshell. If you were to tell me to do something, I'm asking questions. Like, I'm that kid in the school classroom that they're like, hey, there's no dumb questions. They have to say that because I'm in the room. Because I'm going to ask the dumb question. Everyone's like, come on, Sean, let's, let's go. Like, we could have left class early. That's me. I love it when people just always ask the question. And that's why it takes a really long time for sermons. And, and God's really patient with me because I just have to ask a whole lot of questions. This crowd here asks three different questions in this passage of scripture. And that's what we're going to kind of focus on. Three different things that they ask Jesus as they're talking to him. Now, I think you guys got this, that this is pretty much just a conversation that Jesus has with the multitudes around him. But what's important to understand is that these people that Jesus is talking to right here were the very people that were involved in the miracles at the beginning of John chapter 6. The miracle... Um, of feeding the 5,000, of Jesus walking across the water, all these things. These people were there for this. And I firmly believe that Jesus performed the miracle of feeding the 5,000 in order to have this very conversation with the people. And I believe this because in John chapter 1, verse 17, we read that Jesus has, brings grace and he brings truth. Grace and truth have always been the defining characteristics of Jesus' ministry to the world and even to us. And in grace, I believe Jesus fed the 5,000 people. And because it's grace and truth, he has this conversation with them right here in verses 22 through 40. Today, we're only going to cover part of this conversation. This conversation goes on through verse 71. If you guys want to have some weekly reading, there's a lot more past this, but we're just going to focus on this little part right here. So here we are, the very next day after Jesus fed the 5,000 people, and the people wake up, and they look around, and Jesus isn't there. And their day kind of starts with this mystery. You know, where in the world did he go? We read in 22, it says, The crowd that remained on the other side of the sea said there had only been one boat there and that Jesus had not entered the boat with his disciples. Like we know in reading the accounts that Jesus took his disciples, put them in the boat, and sent them to the other side to Capernaum. And then Jesus went up to the mountain to pray. The crowd did not know this, but they knew that Jesus did not enter that boat. So they started walking. They're like, hey, we're going to catch him. We're going to figure out where this guy went. This mystery is going to be solved. So they, they start going, and they get to Capernaum. And instead of uh, 
you know, hugging him and embracing him, when they see him, they ask a question, right? It says, when did you come here? In verse 25, Rabbi, when did you come here? <laughs> That's going to bring us to our first question. When did you come here? We read in verse 24. It says, so when the crowd saw that Jesus was not there, nor his disciples, they themselves got in the boat to go to Capernaum, seeking Jesus. Those two words should bring excitement and joy in the life of every believer in this room and any believer that reads any of those things. That, that, that this group of people were seeking Jesus. That should bring joy, some excitement about this. Because here is this lost group of people who suffered through a storm and they're walking this long trek around the sea to seek Jesus. And man, I get excited about that. I guarantee the disciples got excited about that. They saw this large crowd of people start swarming the city that they just went to. That these people are looking for their Messiah, for their friend, for their king. That people are seeking Jesus. But Jesus saw right through this. <laughs> Jesus saw right through this because in verse 26, he says, Truly, truly, I say to you, you are seeking me not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. Now, there's something about Jesus that I think you guys understand. I'm just going to say it out loud. Like, as humans, we don't get to see motives, right? Like, we don't get to see the motive of the heart. Jesus can, and he went straight for it. Like, he's like, listen, seeking Jesus sounds great, but you only came here because it's breakfast time and you're a little hungry, <laughs> You were full last night, and now you want to eat just one more time. Jesus knew, uh, if we go to the beginning of chapter 6 and verse 2, Jesus knew that people originally followed him because of his miracles. In verse 2, it says, And a large crowd was following him because they saw the signs that he was doing on the sick. So he knew that, that miracles initially drew people to start following him and and around to these different cities and whatnot. But here, the people's motives were, redu were reduced to just being fed. Like, it's not even a miracle anymore. Like, they're just hungry. <laughs> they ate their fill, the loaves, and that's what they want to do again. So their motivation might have been good and originally following him because of the miracles that they saw, but it's just to get something now at this point. I think it's important to jump in and say, even if people were attracted by miracles, there's still a possibility for them to be saved. If that's the motivation for people to seek Jesus because they see miracles, there's still a possibility for them to be saved. Think about you and your circle of influence around you, right? At one point in your life, you were no longer who you used to be. I went to a high school reunion one time, and the people were like, what happened? <laughs> and I was like, let me tell you about this guy I know named Jesus. That's okay if people see the miracles and they, they start trying to figure out. That's fine, because there's still a possibility to be saved. But it's important also to know that miracles alone do not produce a lasting faith. They do not produce a lasting faith, but they can lead to one. Go to John chapter 3, and we'll find a different character in this named Nicodemus. John chapter 3, verses 1 and 2, it says, Now there is a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. 
This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one, listen, can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Jesus and Nicodemus go on to have one of the most profound conversations found in the New Testament. That's where we read about John 3, 16 and 17. That's where we read that you have to be born again. They have one of the most profound conversations after the initial motivation for Nicodemus to go to Jesus was because of the miracles Jesus was doing. We see later on in this story in the New Testament at the end of the gospel that Nicodemus comes back up. Miracles led Nicodemus to talk to Jesus, but it did not produce a lasting faith that brought him after the death of Jesus. Miracles are <laughs> miracles alone do not produce a lasting faith, but they can lead to one. But sadly, these people here just wanted the food. Their motivation was just for the food. And it's easy for the church on this side of the cross to look back at this original audience here and be like, you guys missed it. You guys completely missed it. But church, it's simple for us to do the same thing today. We can go from seeing God work in mighty ways in our lives, our family's lives, our friends' lives, and even the world around us to just talking to him when we want something. Ultimately, we are really good at turning the creator of the universe, the savior of the world, the Messiah, into this vending machine in the sky that we go to when we want something. In verse 27, Jesus goes on and, and continues explaining uh, what they're looking for. Verse 27 says, do not labor for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give to you. For on him, God the Father has set his seal. Jesus starts to explain that there are two kinds of food in this world that we can seek. The first one being a physical perishing food, and then the second one being a spiritual food. Let's talk about the first one, this physical perishing food. Guys, we can get so caught up in building a reputation, building a retirement account, acquiring new things, and try to fill a void that's in our lives with physical perishing food of the world. A little side note, another thing I love about Jesus is that Jesus talks to people exactly how they will understand it. Think about the woman at the well. She wanted to get some water. So Jesus says, I am the water, right? I'm the living water. Springs up into eternal life. Here, these people are hungry, and Jesus says, okay, there's two types of food. He's just talking to them on how that they can understand him, and I love that. And then secondly, for your information, the word used for perishing means presently perishing. And that's important because it doesn't matter how new something is or how great that something makes you feel. The definition is it is presently perishing. It's presently perishing because it's compared to eternity. And if something that is perishing in the first place is compared to eternity, yeah, 
It doesn't compare at all. So it is nothing. It is worthless. It is garbage, basically, because it is presently perishing. Ecclesiastes tells us that man has eternity in his heart. And a lot of people have went to describe that as a God-shaped hole right in their heart. And because we are all built with this in us, designed, created with that in us, this thing that the world can produce will never fill that void. It is presently perishing. All right, I feel like we've been really serious for a little bit. So let me jump in and ask you guys some trivia questions. Not really trivia. I'm just going to ask you if you know anything about raccoons. (laughs) Much? You know much about raccoons? I don't know much. I, I know like two things. One, I think they're kind of cute. Like they're, they're pretty cute. Like you got to admit, little trash panda looks pretty cute. And two, I don't know if this is because raccoons, there's a couple little thoughts, right? Either one, one group of people say raccoons are really hygienic. So if there's ever liquid around, they will take the garbage that they're eating and dip it in the liquid and kind of wash it. I don't know if that's true. I've also heard that it's because they don't have enough like saliva glands, so they have to like make their food easier to swallow. I don't know. But what I do know is that a few years ago, a long time ago, it was a vine, for any of you people who know what vine was, it was a vine that was really popular. Yep, one person, thank you. Um, There was a vine that was going around that was really popular, and it was a video of a raccoon, okay? So here's this raccoon. I don't know if it was like at a zoo or state fair or whatever, but they put this giant thing of cotton candy right next to this raccoon, right? This raccoon went up. He grabbed this thing, and lo and behold, there's a puddle right here. And this raccoon grabs this cotton candy and goes, and then all of a sudden the cotton candy just goes, and just dissolves into the water, and this raccoon just like, padding at the water like super sad but it was also hilarious at the same time now I said that to try to paint a picture for us because here we are with this God-shaped hole in our heart and we grab something that looks really cool it looks really great it looks really new it looks really whatever it is and we put it in there and then it just disappears and we kind of pat at it and wonder what in the world happened. That should have worked. I don't know why that didn't work. And then we got to go find something else that's really new and really cool and and we put it in there and it doesn't work. Now there are some scholars that believe that Jesus is just talking about physical food, not the things of the world, but just food. So even if that is the case, food at best, can only sustain life. Physical food, at best, can only sustain life. Food's necessary. We go a few days without it. We get a little hangry. We get a little hungry. It's necessary, but it's not the most important thing in our lives. We all have eternity created and designed and put in our heart, and we long for that. And if that God-shaped hole has never been filled in your life, you will go and look for that. And sadly, we're kind of like this raccoon and we keep going to the world to try to fill this. But the second type of food that Jesus spoke about was food that endures to everlasting life. This is food for the spirit. 
Remember, physical food at best can only sustain life where spiritual food actually gives life. And it fills that void in our heart that makes us not go look for anything else. Like instead of that cotton candy dissolving in the water, it's kind of like that big old Christmas dinner that we ate yesterday and that's still hanging out. (laughs) And you don't know if it's ever going to go away. We, as the church, need to seek Jesus for that type of food, for the food that endures to everlasting life. Now, if you're anything like me or anything like the people here, you might have a question that says, well, how do you go about that? How do you go about that? Here's our second question. In verse 20, oh, sorry, verse 28, it says, then they said to him, what must we do to be doing the works of God? In verse 27, it says, Do not labor for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures the eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you, for on him God the Father has set his seal. Here the people are in this crowd, and they hear Jesus say, verse 27, right? He says, Do not labor for the food that perishes, but food that will endure to everlasting life. They hear him say that, but they kind of look at him like Charlie Brown's teacher, right? He's like, wah, 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 labor, wah, 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 wah. So then they have their question, what must we do to be doing the works of God? They thought that there was a way that they could work their way into being saved. They thought that there was a way that they could build themselves up into what he is talking about, but they completely missed the word give in verse 27. For the Son of Man will give to you. And church, this is still a stumbling block for people today. God's grace is amazing. It is an amazing thing, and it's mind-boggling all at the same time. But the truth is this, that the only way to be saved, we read about in verse 29, that you believe in him whom he has sent. It's belief in whom he has sent. Now, again, if you're like me or the people, well, who is that? (laughs) Who is he talking about in verse 29? Go back up to 27. (laughs) It says, the son of man will give to you for him, for on him God the Father has set his seal. It's Jesus. Believe on Jesus. Believe Jesus. That's the only way to be saved. Now, this whole setting his seal, do you guys know what letters are? You guys ever received a letter? Not a bill, I'm talking like a letter. Like, like somebody hand wrote you a letter. All right, so, so think past, you know, scotch tape, the envelope. Think past the delicious, gross glue that you used to have to lick. Way back when, if somebody wrote you a letter, they'd, they'd write it out on this nice, thick, kind of canvas-like paper, and they'd fold it in on itself. And instead of the glue or the nice, you know, scotch tape, they would drip some candle wax on it. They drip some candle wax on it, and some people had a ring, other people had a press, and they'd press it in, and it would kind of be like a brand, you know, like has different designs in it. So when that letter showed up to your place, you knew exactly who sent that to you. Jesus is saying that God the Father has set his seal on him, on Jesus. John 1 14, if you have not heard it yet this Christmas season, I just want to read it to you. It says, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we've seen his glory, 
glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. So you're saying, Sean, these people are asking, what is the works that we can do? And then Jesus responds and says, the work. Like they're asking plural, what, what can I do? What all the things I can do? And Jesus says, well, there's one thing that you can do, and it's believe ultimately on me. Believe in me. And you might be like, man, I love the thought of that New Testament believing equals saving. Having a faith equals salvation. Putting your faith in something equals salvation. But honestly, it's really not just a New Testament thing. This has been something from the beginning that God has always been about. Genesis 15, verse 6 says, this is talking about um, Abram at the time. Uh, let's go back. Let's go verse 3. It says, Abram said, Behold, you have given me no offspring, and a member of my household will be my heir. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him. This man shall not be your heir. Talking about his other son. Your, <clears throat> your very own son with Sarah shall be your heir. And he brought him outside and said, Look toward heaven and number the stars. If you're able to number them, then he said to him, so shall your offspring be. And then verse six, this is key. It says, and he, Abram, believed the Lord, and he, the Lord, counted it to him as righteousness. That's important for us to understand, church, that Abram, Abraham was not counted righteous because he was obedient to the call out of Ur the Chaldeans. He wasn't counted righteous because he was circumcised. He wasn't counted righteous even when he took his own son to the top of the mountain to sacrifice him. Abraham was counted righteous when he believed the word of the Lord. And he believed what God told him was going to happen would happen. And then go to the New Testament just because why not? John 3, 16. John 3, 16, famous Bible verse says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever, does it say work? No. That whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Church, this is also something that still plagues people today. This belief, belief, not works, but faith. This is something that plagues people. And I'm just going to say it like this. We need to quit acting like our basic tenets of our faith, like studying the word, praying, and worshiping. We need to quit acting like those three things are our responsibility. We need to stop acting like they're our responsibility because they've never were supposed to be our responsibility. Those things should be our response for what God has already done in our life. That should be the motivation. It shouldn't be, I have to do this, I have to do this, and I have to do this. It should be, I get to do this. I want to do this. I love doing this. None of those things, studying the word, praying, and worshiping, will save you. That's only having a belief in Jesus that's going to do that. But those things just reflect outwardly what we already are inwardly so stop making them a responsibility and make them your response because when you finally come to that realization the realization that on the cross everything 
was done for you. All of the work has been done. All of the heavy lifting is done. And all you have to do is believe in the one who did it. You enter into the freedom of Christ. The Bible says for freedom, Christ has set us free. And I think that's what it means. That we do fully, completely trust in him that everything he has done is done. And the race of our life changes. Right, we always think of this life as just this rat race where you gotta cut somebody off or you gotta step on somebody to move forward and keep going and keep going and, and one day you're gonna get to that finish line that you've set in your head. But when you come to the realization that everything's been done for you, you're already at the finish line. You're just standing there. Like this wasn't me whenever I ran, <laughs> like, but I saw people in high school track that run like two miles, they're all like high-fiving afterwards. I'm puking on the side. But they're all high-fiving. They're like, yeah, that was great. I could have ran a little faster, but eh, whatever. And I'm just like dying. I get to be those people now. <laughs> I just get to stand at the finish line and be like, that was awesome, guys. Heck yeah, let's do this. I don't want to do it again because I'm already here. <laughs> the race of life changes when you realize that everything's been done for you. Instead of running for a finish line, you start at that finish line. And then in verse... Uh, 30, go back to John 6, verse 30. We, we see um, the last question for the people, from the people. It says, so they said to him, then what sign do you do that we may see and believe you? What work do you perform? Our fathers ate the manna in the wilderness as it is written. He gave them bread from heaven to eat. Here we go again, the people missing the message. The people, after Jesus saying, this is the work of God, that you believe in him whom he has sent, they say, okay, what sign are you going to show me? The people asked for a sign in verses 30 and 31, and this was technically a teaching of the rabbis in that day, that when the Messiah came, he would reproduce the miracle of manna in the wilderness. Like, that was a teaching. I get this, but... Let's look at it just a smidge deeper than that, right? Like go past all that. Look at who asked that question. Because the people asking for a sign here are the same people that just got fed by a couple of loaves and a couple of fish the day before. Like I said earlier, faith built solely on miracles is not a lasting faith. It's actually a faith that can lead you astray. And that's where these people are. One miracle clearly wasn't enough for them. They're still using Jesus as that vending machine in the sky. So the question here is like, what are you asking for? Right? They're asking for signs, but let's look at us. What are we as the church asking for? I've had the honor and privilege to go four times to Honduras, to, to Gusagapa, Honduras, and serve on a mission uh, trip team, short-term mission trip team with a school named Afe. Uh, Afe is right outside Tegucigalpa, which is like 2 million people. It's outside of their city dump, and it's basically just trash thrown on a mountain, and people live there, and they, they go and they collect recyclables and whatever they could sell that the gangs allow them to sell, that's how much they make for the day. So a lot of the times, people just ate food out of the garbage. Like, it, it's a rough place. Afe is this shining light in that valley that they're trying to 
step in and share Christ with kids and break the cycle of poverty. But one of the last times that I went, uh, they actually had a youth camp. And during this youth camp, like, I got to teach. Like, it was cool. I had an interpreter. I did not do well. It was, <laughs> it was good. Um, but they also had a prayer night, a prayer night. Not, not prayer hour, prayer night. Lasted for several hours. And here they are, these kids, these teenagers on their knees with their hands up, praying in circles. And, and in that culture, all of them pray at the same time. They just go. Like, they don't, they understand that God can hear all of them. <laughs> we don't sometimes. So they're all just praying, and, and I'm just, like, overwhelmed. I, I don't know what to do. I don't speak enough Spanish to understand all these prayers. So I grabbed one of the interpreters, and I was like, can you help me here? And she's like, yeah. So she's telling me the prayer request and, and the praying that these kids are doing. Now, think, they're in a third world. They're living in shacks made out of recyclable garbage, their parents are estranged sometimes. Like, like it is a rough situation. And she's like, okay, uh, Mario is praying for you guys to travel home safely. Mario is praying that you guys could be lights in your community to the people around you. Josue is praying that you guys grow closer to Jesus. That one took me back. <laughs> because if I was in their situation... I know exactly what I would be asking for. So I have this question for you guys. If everything in your prayer lives came true today, how closer would you be to God? Would anyone else around you come to know God or would just our circumstances be changed? Would we have more money, newer car, bigger retirement? new job. It's important what we ask for as well. The people had it wrong in church. Sometimes we have it wrong. I don't want to leave you with just that. <laughs> Let's keep going. Like that's, that's a bummer. That is a bummer and that's okay. We, we need to be punched in the mouth sometimes. Um, but finally, I'm going to ask the last question. Like knowing all these things, like if we're seeking what we're supposed to be seeking and if we're asking what we're supposed to be asking, like what do we, what do, we do? Like how do we get there? What's, what's the final answer here? Jesus in verse 35 says, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. Jesus tells us that he is the bread of life and that this is the first I am statement of Jesus in the book of John. Now, when he had the conversation with the crowd, we've seen that they just didn't quite understand what he was saying. But in verse 35, when he says, I am the bread of life, this crowd absolutely knew what he was talking about. Because this, this, this saying, I am, is the name God told Moses to tell Pharaoh who sent him in Exodus 3.14. So the people had no idea, really. They kept missing it. They, they, they were trying to get through this uh, dialogue. They had no idea until this. And he mentioned I am. They absolutely knew what he was talking about. But if we go up back up to 31 and 32, when it says, Our fathers ate the manna in the wilderness. He gave them bread from heaven to eat. They wanted Jesus to bring down the manna. They wanted the rabbi teaching to be correct. They wanted Jesus to reproduce this miracle. 
This is talking about in reference to the wilderness travelings of the Israelites um, recorded in Exodus 16. So if you guys just want to do a little study, we're not going to read the whole chapter of 16, but it's there. Uh, I'll try to summarize this story the best I can. God brings his people out of Egypt. They're walking in the wilderness, and then all of a sudden they just go, did God really bring us out here just to kill us for hunger? Like, I would have stayed in Egypt. Like, how dumb of a statement is that? Like, like we, again, on this side of the cross, can be like, that is a dumb statement. But me being in that situation, I'm like, yeah, I'd be asking probably the same exact thing. So they ask this, and, and they petition to Moses, and God talks to Moses. He says, okay. Uh, at night, I will bring quail. They will have their fill of quail. And in the morning, I will bring down manna. So dew's going to fall. And when the dew fell away, there was these little coriander seed looking things uh, that tasted like, what was it? Um, they were coriander seeds. They were white and taste of it was like wafers made with honey. Seems pretty good. Sounds good to me. But the, the ground was completely filled with all these things. And when that fell, God said, you need to go and take one serving for yourself. Everyone in Israel will take one serving for themselves. And on the day before the Sabbath, take a double, cook, boil, whatever you need to do the night before. And then on the Sabbath, you eat the second one, right? He says, now listen, if you take extra or try to store it away, it's going to be bad. It's going to breed worms. It's going to start stinking. It's just going to dissolve, and, and you won't have that manna. But God provided for his people in the wilderness. For 40 years, they ate the manna in the morning. They ate the, the meat at night until they got into the land of Canaan. That's what God did for his people, and that's the direct reference that we have here. When the manna of what's important, what's something that we need to take away from this is when the manna fell, the children of Israel could do any of four things. One, they could trample on it. They could just walk on it. They're unwilling to kneel down and receive this awesome gift freely. They could have just walked out of their, their little tents and tabernacles and just kept their eye on the horizon and just completely ignored it. They went on with their day. They went on with their worries. And they went on with an empty stomach. They could have stored it in their house, but like I said, that was a bad idea. Because if you stored extra, try to put extra away at breadworms, and it stank. Or finally, they could just kneel down and pick it up. They could have gotten their portion. They could have eaten it morning by morning and received their strength for the day. In church, the same four responses the Israelites had in the wilderness are the same four responses that we have for the true bread of heaven, Jesus, today. There are some, and maybe some even here today, listening, in person, whatever, that will trample on it. They want nothing to do with Jesus at all. I just want to tell you, if you are that person and you trample on the gift that Jesus has freely given, then we understand with our reading and, and just knowing who Jesus is that your future residence is in a real place called hell. 2 Peter 3, 9. It says, <clears throat> whoops. I went the wrong book. I marked the wrong book, guys. I gotta go back. 
Second Peter 3, 9 <laughs> says, The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. If you choose to trample on the free gift of Jesus, I will just tell you, to walk to your future residence, you are literally going to have to step over the dead body of his son. That's a conscious decision that you make. Jesus did everything, and it is a free gift that you can kneel down and pick up today. Some people here listening will ignore him. They're just going to ignore him. Maybe they're the ones that say, you know, I don't really feel the Lord in my life today. And it's not that he's not there. It's just that they're not willing to kind of press into it. That, that responsibility response thing might be that stumbling block and they, the response just might not be there. Some people are going to try and store it up. You know, some of those people that think it's, it's really hard to bear our cross daily. If I'm being completely transparent, I fall in this category a lot. There are some things that are just really tough to go through. And I try to store it up. When, when everything's good, right, you're like taking in everything that you can. Everything's good, everything's good, so that when you get to a bad time, you're like, oh, I got some stored in the tank. I should be able to make this thing. They press in hard for a little while, and then they try to go on autopilot. But what Scripture told us, that if you store it up, it's going to breed worms. It's going to stink. It's not going to be a faith that you want to have, and it's not going to be a faith that anybody else wants to have around you. Then finally, some of us are going to pick it up, and we're going to pick it up daily. We're going to spend time with Jesus because it's our response. He's going to give us strength for the challenges of each day, and I'm telling you, Though it might seem like a small serving, it is more than enough to get you through every single day, every single trial that you will ever face. Now that manna is on the ground, that bread, a true bread of heaven is on the ground, and it is free to anyone that wants to receive it today. Don't think of, oh, I did this, or I did that, or I'm thinking this, or th Listen, today is the perfect day to receive that free gift. I love it in the Bible when it says that one sinner repents, all of heaven will celebrate. That could be today. There could be a huge party today because somebody picked up that free gift that Jesus gave to you. And then you step into the fullness and the freedom and the, <laughs> the transformation relationship that only he can bring. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for today, God. Thank you for your word. Thank you for coming down. Thank you for living a life we couldn't. Thank you for paying our debt God, thank you for defeating the grave and thank you for offering a way back to the Father. Thank you for, thank you for saving. Thanks for saving me and my friends and my family and, and everyone around and here today that are followers of Jesus. Thank you so much. God, I pray that you give us the strength to continue to just go out daily and pick this up. God, I pray that you give us the strength to be good representatives to the people around us, that, that you are a loving, just God that reconciliation and redemption and new creation is available to them. God, I pray that, that your, your good news goes out, that people respond and that, that heaven erupts in celebration. God, we love you, we trust you, we pray all this in Jesus' holy name, amen.